I'm Brianna. I'm Sarah. And we are the, the Squad, Squad Ghouls. Ghouls. Just a couple of creepy gals that love creepy things. Oh, we're back! Yay! We took a week off. We did. Because bitches need vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if... Well, we have listeners outside of the U.S., but for our listeners in the U.S., you know that uh, this last week, because we're recording on Friday night, was election week. I have successfully stayed off of social media <laughs> for 72 hours. Good job. I have also refrained from watching the news because I can't bring myself to look. I kind of checked in every now and then. I know. Jared keeps showing me. He's like, did you see? I'm like, stop. I don't want to know yet. I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> until it hits 270. I don't. And somebody says, winner, winner, chicken dinner. I don't want to know. I don't want to look. I don't want to be involved. I, just, I really hope that's how they announced the, the president. Winner, winner, chicken dinner? Chicken dinner? Yes. They, they might. <laughs> I think that might make it more enjoyable. I think we can all agree I mean, maybe. that I don't stranger know. shit has come out of Washington, D.C. this year than somebody saying winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, you mean dinner. like that alien video? I mean like everything in 2020. Oh, yeah. And the murder hornets. That too. Whatever. You know, it was, we forgot about the murder hornets. <laughs> They're still around. No, I don't know. <laughs> but also that alien video. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That Aliens was, are real. They are. Yes. Because the president released the video. Did he? Or I, I just thought, I just call him forty five. I, th- I thought and, he did. And you know when I whenever I microwave something for forty five seconds, I always pull it out with one second left so that it's at forty four seconds. For Obama. <laughs> I like that. Yep. And Jer- I like that a lot. Because Jared noticed it and he asked me, why do you always pull it out after 45 seconds with one second left? He said, for Obama. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that now. <laughs> Speaking of microwaves, I have a joke for you. I'm ready. What's the scariest type of cutlery? I don't know what. A spoon. <laughs> fucking friday (laughs) oh pardon my german oh man Uh, well i have a joke for you Mm. let me swallow my coffee first okay go for it (laughs) what did the witch say at the department of motor vehicles i don't know what did the witch say as a matter of fact i can drive a stick (laughs) hey yo (laughs) what kind of stick are we talking about Uh, i mean anyway sorry this, this is where my mind's been um yeah it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks yes so uh well and that's that's part of why we took this last week off one to be sensitive around what was going on with the united states election but also we were just really tired (laughs) we've both been working a lot of hours our 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 companies have both been going through some things so yep and we've we've been working lots of 12 hour days and when your bestie can see that you are trying to hide the fact that you are really tired and she calls you out on it. <laughs> that is what I'm here for. Because like, I was really trying to hide it. Oh, yeah, guys, I'm fine. No, we could Everything's tell. Everything's great. We could tell on Saturday night. 
you were exhausted. I was like, like, I'm I'm great, you guys. I like, got sushi. It's fine. I got snacks. You were the dog in that <laughs> meme where the house is burning down. You're like, it's fine. Everything's fine. The house yep. is burning down, but it's good. <laughs> I was like, a lot girl. of people were asking me, like, are you feeling okay? I'm like, great. I'm fucking fantastic. I'm great. Things could not be better. <laughs> and inside my body's like... <laughs> so yes yes i'm here to make sure and please know if you need a break just say bitch i'm tired (laughs) i need the night off (laughs) it is not a crisis just put me to bed (laughs) i'll tuck you in Ooh, i like i would like that i won't tuck you in with peanut because she is not a good cuddle partner (laughs) and she snores way louder than any human um you know we may have to test that out Girl challenge just, accepted. To see if she snores louder than me. I don't know. Pe- peanut dog can throw down with the best of them. Because Pearl and I, like... Oh, I think, you know what? Maybe Pearl. I think we shake walls. Yeah, I think Pearl probably does. <laughs> Especially, like, whenever I'm sick. Mm-hmm. Or, like, this past week when it was super windy and my allergies were all crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I snore really loud. Nice. So there's that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Should we get into booze news? Yes. Booze news. Booze news. Okay, was this first one mine? They were all yours, I think. Oh. <laughs> but I can talk about it. Yeah, do the first can one. Can I? Okay. Do the first one. <laughs> okay, so Wes Craven's a 1991 horror fil- movie, The People Under the Stairs, which is like... It's I love one, that movie. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> but it is getting a new life over at Universal. And Jordan Peele is attached to produce the remake. And also, um, he's not expected to direct, but he is, it's unclear whether he or um, Rosenfield will have a hand in the writing of the script. Mm. So, but he will, Peele will produce for Monkey Paw Productions, which is his, alongside Wynn Rosenfield. So, and, and if you remember in the original two adults and a, a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and a sister and their stolen children and there they must fight for their lives. I'm excited about this. I think that this and anything that Jordan Peele touches turns to gold. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Oh yeah. So in other news, uh, Stephen Cagnetti's found footage film, Hell House LLC, oh. has built up quite a fan following in the five years since its release. So I don't know if you've ever watched this, but there's actually a couple of them that are found footage type movies that are, you know, Hell House LLC, and then they're, they're different um, places that they occur. Hmm. They're on Shudder. And oh. I watched the first one on Shudder. I hate found footage movies. Hate, hate, hate. Yeah, player I'm- haters ball hate <laughs> <laughs> like i absolutely hate found footage films blair witch project was yeah awful i was gonna say that's like the prime example for yeah, me terrible uh, you know paranormal activity the first one was okay i didn't think it was all that it was fine you know and then oh you didn't like the one where <laughs> it supposedly took place in oxnard oh paranormal or paranormal activity 12 or whatever it was like <laughs> And just it was so definitely many. not Oxnard. I no, just want to point that out. No, but I will say the Hell House LLC film was done beautifully. Really? I have to watch that really, one. I really, really liked it. Um, the scares were great. 
And there were certain things like they're, they're not without giving too much away because it's the whole premise of it is there's this group of folks that are building their own haunted house and they're building it at a house that has this very sordid past. And Ooh, I like it already. Well, yeah. And there's all these weird things that start happening. Like, you know, obviously the noises and things move and so forth. But the the quote unquote dolls or the monster dolls in the house start like turning their heads and looking at things. But then there's this one scene in particular where I, because I, I was watching it one, one Saturday morning on my couch and this guy went to cut and, you know, film himself in his room and just, you know, talking and documenting everything that's going on as they're building this haunted house. Mm-hmm. And there's a straight up demon lady sitting against the wall behind him and i remember him looking at the camera talking and then he you know gets up dust and stuff and comes back and then there's this bitch sitting there and then you know obviously bad things happen to him but i remember seeing i'm going oh shit (laughs) jumping back on the couch (laughs) and i missed you jumping while i'm eating my popcorn i know how much you love to watch me jump and laugh i do but yes you did miss this one oh man um so anyway i i digress um the original film that spawned two sequels in recent years um, is now on the road to Halloween 2020. There's a director's cut or an uncut director's cut that's going to be released. Oh, nice. So it's going to be exclusively streaming through Amazon Prime, not Shutter, where the other ones are, starting on October 30th, which was last week, but we took a week off. So oh. we're telling you about it a little bit late. Um, cool. But if you didn't already know, there you have it. Um, and they're gonna, there's going to be some never-before-seen footage. So not only are you getting an extended cut of the film through Prime, but you're also getting some bonus materials with cast auditions, location scouting, um, and some other footage and more. Oh, nice. Yeah. Maybe I'll go watch the director's cut. It's good. I, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. And again, I, I hate found footage films, but yeah. this one. But if you said it's good, then. I liked it. It's, it's very unsettling. I might have to watch it then. Yeah. Give it a, give it a watch. Nice. Let me know what you think. It might, it might even make me jump a couple of times. We'll see. I doubt Wait. it, but. Oh, okay. But I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> now put me in a real haunted house. I'll be all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, in the wake of her films, Prank and Among Friends, uh, horror icon Danielle Harris will be returning to the director's chair with an upcoming sequel being billed as an all-female slasher. Ooh. (laughs) The darkly comedic horror movie comes from Joe Dante's production company, Renfield Productions. I like the name. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Like Renfield from Dracula. Exactly. That's why I like it. And (laughs) so, uh, though the plot uh, details remain under wraps, the title suggests a satirical shredding of the horror industry's final final girl trope. So, and the official press release sent out today's teases. So, yay. We'll see what happens. I think it's going to be funny. It's obviously not. I like it whenever they make fun of the final girl. Oh, dude. (laughs) I mean, the first scary movie had me a, a couple of laughs with them when they they just took it too far with the other ones but yeah <laughs> i did like the first scary movie if it's something like that but anyway which was the one that had pamela anderson in it and they were making fun of the ring and they were i think uh, that was the second one okay yeah and then they're making fun of her tape with tommy lee and she's like no not that tape <laughs> <laughs> yes that was the second one. Oh, i just I remember think, that part i think that was the only funny part in that movie i think you are correct if i remember it <laughs> that's why i said sometimes they just take it too far when you got one 
that works, stick with it. Indeed. And lastly, surprise! Kurt Wimmer's new take on Children of the Corn by Stephen King filmed with safety protocols in place during the pandemic. Oh. And it's already been released in drive-ins. Wait, time out. What? Yeah, it was released. Well, okay, I should preface that with it was it, it was released in two Sarasota, Florida drive-ins. <laughs> Because everything is legal in Florida right now. Yeah, that's true. Um, Florida, we love you. But you can do anything there. You can't do anything in California. Be safe, guys. Yes, please be safe. Please. Um, so yeah, it was, it was dropped in Florida. And uh, it was actually brought to everybody's attention by Club Stephen King and the Herald Tribune. And the film's currently playing at the, C- the CMX Cinebistro and Burns Court Cinema, both located in Sarasota. Nice. If we have any listeners in Sarasota, please email us. Let us know how it is. I know we have some in Florida, but I don't know where they live. Okay. Well, if you're close. I can just see this. To Sarasota and you can go see this. Yeah. Let us know how it is. Yeah. We like to know. We're nosy. Yeah, we are. (laughs) Talk to us. (laughs) (laughs) We're so lonely. Anyway, anyway. So lonely. We just sounded real desperate. Yeah, we did. Oh, That's God. okay. We're going to edit that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so continuing to share some great organizations to follow, I wanted to talk about lovebutton.org and not the love button you're thinking about. I was going to say. <laughs> That's why I had to say that. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I actually found out about this organization uh, while working in Malibu. And then I had to find more about it because I'm like, why is everybody walking around with these buttons that say love on it? I mean, I liked it because I think we all need a little bit more love in this world right now. You mean we (laughs) should learn how to talk to each other instead of talking at each other? I mean, it might help. You mean you should care about what happens to other humans? I mean... I think you're talking crazy. I I could be. Mm -hmm. I'm very radical right now. Um... (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so I definitely wanted to, after finding out information about this organization, that's why I wanted to share Mm -hmm. a little bit more. So it was founded by two doctors. I'm just going to say their first names. I don't want to damage their last names. So uh, Dr. Habib and Dr. Uh, Sherry Sammy. Um, They, the Love Button Global uh, Movement fosters loving acts of kindness, collaborating with organizations and individuals who transform and uplift the lives of our human family. So that's very vague. How do they do that? How do they do that? Well, continuing on. Okay. I was like, this sounds vague. Explain how. (laughs) The funds we raise, or they raise, excuse me, are used to support initiative, initiatives, excuse me, ranging from uh, intimate local efforts to global programs that promote physical and mental health, nurture education and cultivate loving action through their, they have this whole movement called love is uh, dandelion uh, initiative and they believe uh, a world where people are inspired to increase community-based philanthropy oh god it's the red bull philanthropy <laughs> yes philanthropy <laughs> volunteerism and in an individual 
Did okay. we mention it's been a really long yeah. individual? Of weeks. There it is. <laughs> individual acts of kindness among themselves to foster a greater sense of mutual support, connectedness, and interdependence that's essential for society to function in a more cohesive and loving way. That's very nice of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're trying. Someone's, someone's got to. <laughs> Um, but another way that this uh, organization came to, well, it got a little bit more attention because in uh, February for the uh, Super Bowl halftime show, uh, Chris Martin was performing, or I would say Coldplay was performing. It's not just Chris Martin, sorry. Um, but, but can you name any other member of Coldplay I, other than Chris Martin? Nope. Because I sure can't. Nope, I can't. Sorry, Coldplay. <laughs> so we'll say Chris Martin and Coldplay. Um, they actually are um, big supporters of the Love Button mission. And during the halftime show, they put um, in the stands, they were all holding cards and they revealed the message that said, believe in love. I don't know if you saw that. I remember that. that. Yeah. I don't watch football because I have personal issues with the NFL, but I I did watch the halftime show. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm here for the food and halftime show. And I was all here for JLo and Shakira this year. Yeah. That was good. (laughs) So a lot of it, it got like a little bit more notice when they did that performance. Nice. So yeah, they're doing, actually, they were doing a lot of things uh, to get people involved in uh, voting and um, different events, obviously COVID safe, <laughs> um, just to get people out to the polls and, and then all just sharing their buttons all over the place. Nice. Yeah. I actually saw it at my job recently. Right on. Yeah. So it just kind of brought that thought back into my head. So nice. check them out. Neat. Well, today's episode... Is all about haunted objects. Get out your sage. Right? So this is the first, <laughs> the, the very first one. We'll, I'm, you know, there are many haunted objects, so I'm sure we'll yes. do, a, you know, a part two and three of this. Um, there was a lot. It was hard for me to kind of choose. It was hard to pick the good ones, and then I also didn't want to pick too many of the good ones, because I did, then there wouldn't be any fun ones left. You picked one really, really good one. Well, probably one of the more famous ones. Yeah. But yes. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So the first one that I picked, and it's I think it's, I would say it's one of the bigger ones, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dybbuk Box. Ah, yes. Jan Dybbuk Box. <laughs> and I uh, actually, I was just, I was reading a lot about this and I actually was watching a few videos where you know, like I was kind of clutching my pearls a little bit because it's some really creepy stuff. <laughs> um, but anyway, so in Jewish mythology, uh, the Dybbuk, which is Yiddish uh, or from the Hebrew verb Dabak. I hope I said that right. I was trying to practice this. We don't have our Jewish friend here to ask <laughs> yeah, if we said it right. But if we said it wrong, please tell us. Yes, but I was trying to listen to when they were saying it and i had to like say it over and over to myself yeah so i think i i probably don't have the the tone of how you say it but i think i got it mostly right anyway but debach me it means to adhere or cling and it's a malicious uh possessing spirit believed to be the dislocated soul of a dead person so that's what debach means 
Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and it supposedly leaves the host body once it has accomplished it, its goal. Sometimes after being helped. If that doesn't creep you out. <laughs> um, the term first appears in a number of 16th century uh, writings, though it was ignored by mainstream uh, scholarship until uh, S. Uh, Ansky's play, The Dybbuk, popularized the concept in literary circles. Earlier accounts of possession were of demonic possession rather than by ghosts. Um, there are actually um, other forms of soul a transmigration in Jewish mythology. A contrast to the Dybbuk is the Eber, sorry if I said that wrong, <laughs> uh, meaning impregnation. Like a, ew. Yeah. <laughs> and this is actually a positive possession, which happens when a righteous soul... I can't think of being impregnated <laughs> as being positive. Well... <laughs> I mean, for for our friends that have children and, and wanted them and love them, I, that's no reflection on you. That's one hundred percent me because I'm weird, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know why they got. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's a positive possession, which happens when a righteous person, a righteous soul, temporarily temporarily possesses a body, and it's a mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, and this is always done with consent so that the soul can perform a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. Yeah. I like that word a lot. Anyway, and then there's the uh, the Gilgul. And um, in Hebrew, that means rolling. Um, and it puts forth the idea that a soul must live through many lives before it gains the wisdom to rejoin with God. Hmm. So the term Dybbuk box was first created and used by Kevin Manis to describe a wine cabinet in the item information for an eBay auction and as a subject of his uh, original story describing paranormal uh, events, which he um, attributed to the box. Uh, Manis, he was a writer and creative professional by trade, owned uh, a small antiques and furniture refinishing business in Portland, portland oregon at the time i shouldn't have had this red bull <laughs> i feel like i can't talk sorry um according to manis's story he bought the box as an at an estate sale in uh 2001 it had belonged to a survivor of the holocaust in poland named havila who had escaped to spain and purchased and purchased it there before her immigration to the united states uh, Havila's granddaughter told Manis about the box. Um, I'm sorry, told Manis that the box had been bought in Spain after the Holocaust. Upon hearing that the box was a family heirloom, Manis offered to give the box back to the family, but the granddaughter insisted that he take it, saying that the family did not want the box. Uh, she told him the box had been kept in her grandmother's sewing room and was never opened because a, a Dybbuk was said to live inside. <laughs> um, upon opening the box, Manis wrote that he found that it contained two 1920s pennies, a lock of blonde uh, hair bound with a cord, a lock of black-brown hair bound with a cord, a small statue engraved with the Hebrew word shalom, 
uh, a small golden uh, wine goblet, one dried rosebud, and a single candle holder with four octopus-shaped legs. It's like getting real creepy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, numerous owners of the box have reported that strange phenomena accompany it. Manis wrote that he experienced a series of horrific nightmares shared with other people while they were in possession of the box or when they stayed at his home while he had it. His mother, his mother uh, suffered a stroke on the same day. He gave her the box as a birthday present. And that was on a shitty gift. And that was on October 31st. Happy birthday. Have a stroke. (laughs) And then every owner of the box has reported that smells of cat urine or jasmine flowers. And those are two pretty. Yeah. Like polar extremes. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's yeah. Either you're going to get a good smell or a really bad smell. Um, and then also nightmares uh, involving an old hag accompany, accompany the box. So, interesting. <laughs> um, um, Ice, uh, I'm going to say his name so wrong. I'm sorry. Iosif Nitsky, a student at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. Um, and the last person to, and he was the last person to, uh, to auction the box on eBay claimed that the box caused lights to burn out of, out in his house and his hair to fall out. Uh, Jason Haxton, director, director of the museum of osteopathic medicine in Kirksville, Missouri had been following Nitsky's, uh, sorry, Nitsky's blogs regarding the box. And when he was ready to, um, and when he was ready to get rid of the box. So Nitsky sold it to Haxton and then Haxton wrote the Dybbuk box. Um, he had developed strange health problems, including hives, coughing up blood, and head-to-toe welts. <laughs> um, Haxton uh, consulted with rabbis to try to figure out a way to seal the Dybbuk in the box again. Um, apparently successful, he took the freshly resealed box and hid it in a secret location, which he would not reveal. Um, but then he later donated the box to Zach Bagans of Ghost Adventures, which we all know it is now in his museum. Well, at least one of them. They're both in there. Oh, they're both in there? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so for our, our listeners right. that don't know, the there are 10 Dybbuk boxes in the world. And from what I remember, a majority of them are accounted for, but I think that there's two of them that aren't. But there are right. 10 boxes to align with the tree of life, according to the Kabbalah belief. Right. And Zach Bagans owns two of the 10. Yes. Did you watch the episode where he opened it? I did. Anticlimactic. <laughs> I was kind of hoping, like... It's like, can some shit just, like, rattle and shake off the walls as opposed to just yeah. Zach Bagans going around <laughs> going, Wah! I was kind of hoping, like, more would happen... I mean, but then I also like read uh, in a separate interview after watching the show. I just wanted to like see what he said because I feel like nothing really happened. But he was saying like shortly after its arrival to his museum, uh, mysterious protruding holes began to appear in the walls around the artifact as if something was trying to break out from within the exhibit. And then um, 
since it has been on display, the museum staff and visitors have experienced black shadows, fainting, feelings of sickness, anger, and anxiety, and much more. <laughs> um, and then uh, after being with, uh, actually, the other story I wanted to put in there is about Post Malone. Who post limon from post, the post limon from the Doritos commercial? <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. he actually believes he was cursed. Mm-hmm. Yep, because there was uh, definitely uh, a series of unfortunate events that happened. So his plane's uh, tires blowing out. Uh, his Rolls Royce was in a really bad car accident, and then his former house was also being robbed. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a couple of films that were out that were inspired by the Dippet Box, The Possession, mm-hmm. in 2012, with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Did you watch it? It was actually really good. I yeah, enjoyed it. I really liked it. Um, the Unborn, that the, was in 2009. That one I have not seen. I mean, it was okay. It was okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, another one that I've actually heard kind of a little b- bit of a buzz about is Ezra, mm-hmm. that came out in 2017. Yep. And that is the Dybbuk box. Nice. I don't think I would ever buy one. I mean, you can go around eBay and search for (laughs) haunted objects. And there's like whole subcategories for haunted objects on eBay. It's like, you know. No, thanks. Even if you don't believe in it. Why tempt fate? Yeah. But, you know, here we are. To each their own. Have fun. Yeah. Play with possessed objects. I'm good. I, I know when we go to that haunted museum, whenever we get there. I am going to be tried. I'm going to try to bless myself with everything imaginable <laughs> before I go in there. Right. I don't. I don't need any more bad things to happen. No. 2020 has been good enough. Exactly. We're we're, we're all stocked up here. <laughs> um. So this one was actually from a. I. It was from Reddit. Oh. Um. And I remember hearing about this a couple of years ago, and then actually reading it reading the subreddit um so it's on the r paranormal subreddit and i have researched this a little more and i forget where i actually pulled this research from but some of it was from the subreddit so i'm gonna pull quotes from the guy that actually found this so i'll give you the backstory on it this is the cat skills crone so in january of 2016 uh, a reddit user identified as wiggity hiker thurway who was who later identified himself as danny uh posted a frantic posted a frantic story on the r paranormal subreddit and asked for help on behalf of his friend who was seemingly being haunted by a malevolent spirit so the two friends had gone hiking in the Catskills. Uh, for those that don't know, that is an area in upstate New York, uh, here in the United States. Um, so they were hiking in the Catskills days earlier and stumbled upon a really creepy statue in a cave. So Danny's friend took the statue home, and that's when all hell broke loose. So it is the creepiest looking little thing. Um, the It's a wood carved statue that has nails in its eyes and a noose around its neck. And so as Danny described it in his post, he said he thought it looked fairly old and shared that he got, you know, quote unquote, bad vibes from it. So he urged his friend not to take the statue, fearing that it actually had something to do with rumored devil worshiping in that area. But his friend, you know, we we never listened to good advice. Uh, (laughs) We he took it and removed it from the cave. 
Good job. So apparently it's well known that devil worshippers come out there to sacrifice animals um, and do all sorts of sordid activities. So uh, Danny didn't want anything to do with it. And a couple of days later, his friend called him and told him that he was pretty confident that the statue was haunted because it kept moving from its spot and it started smelling super weird. Um, and then his friend also said that he couldn't sleep at night because uh, there's a ton of banging noise and it kept waking him up. That so, is really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that prior night that they were speaking, uh, somebody had for sure knocked on his door, but then nobody was there when he opened it. And that's when he got really, really weird out. So he was pretty sure that there was some sort of a ghost or spirit attached to it. Um, and there were several other weird occurrences that made Danny's friend think that he was being followed around by a malicious entity. So a couple of days later, Danny's friend called him and said that the statue had continued to shift around in the apartment and his pet wouldn't go anywhere near it which again guys trust your pets Mm -hmm. um they know yeah and his dog had actually peed in the house multiple times in a row and dog was completely housebroken had never done that and later in that same week danny's friend heard a knock on his door at 3 a.m so obviously you know 3 a.m being the witching hour (laughs) mocking of the the holy trinity um and then after he heard that knock he checked all of his doors and windows to make sure that they were all locked up and the statue had moved itself to the living room and when he approached it he heard breathing that sounded (laughs) quote-unquote like his grandpa with a tracheotomy oh my god so creepy so (laughs) he said that when he woke up which wasn't till you know 10 or several hours later his dog was barking like crazy um and he smelled this really odd sour almost pond water smell Ooh. and it kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger so when he woke up that morning he went out into the hallway and there were muddy footprints in the hallway not shoe prints barefoot prints Mm-hmm. so this freaked out danny's friend so much that he and his dog ended up going to danny's house to seek refuge and they went out to the movies felt a little bit better but that didn't last very long so danny thought that this was a joke he's you know you're just pulling my leg you're you think that you're full of shit this is not real so danny actually kept thinking you know what is going on here and he said you know maybe this is just all a coincidence maybe there are weird things happening that just kind of coincide with what's going on so then they decided to do something that you shouldn't do which was light it on fire oh my gosh yeah (laughs) so if you this is like an episode of what not to do exactly so if you find yourself in possession of a haunted object, you know how you get rid of it? You give it to somebody else. You don't throw it away. You don't burn it. You have to give it to somebody else. It becomes someone else's problem. Oh, my God. So they ended up trying to burn it. Um, but after that didn't work and it wasn't destroyed, uh, Danny then went out to Reddit and posted about this story and everything that had been going on and asked for advice to see if, anyone else had heard of you know objects causing 
any sort of demonic manifestation. So some folks responded and suggested taking it back to the cave, uh, said, don't burn it, <laughs> whatever you do. <laughs> um, and then some other people posted uh, that he should provide the ghost or and or demon that's possessing it with rum or tobacco, which are common offerings in hoodoo and voodoo. So Danny and his friend ended up deciding to send the statue to one Reddit commenter who offered to place it in his paranormal and occult museum. Mm -hmm. So the worst thing, and obviously, as I mentioned, the worst thing you can do is just throw it away without trying to make some kind of amends. You either ask it or sternly command it to remain within the statue and then place an offering and you leave. So six months later... After all of this happens, another post popped up on the R Paranormal subreddit. And this one was called, remember those hikers who found the cursed statue in the Catskills cave last year? I'm the guy they sent it to. And yeah, it's definitely haunted by something nasty. Oh my God. (laughs) That's a real long thread. Great. Mm -hmm. So this new post was written by Greg Newkirk, who's the owner of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. So Newkirk said that Danny and his friend absolutely witnessed something terrifying. And he said that uh, Danny confessed in the email that he and his friend had seen a full-bodied apparition just before deciding to rid themselves of the statue. And according to Newkirk, it was an old woman soaking wet appeared crouching in the dark shadows of the living room. That sounds great. Uh Uh-huh. So (laughs) they went to, so obviously, you know, when that happened, they went back to Danny's friend's house. They grabbed the statue and they were, then they sent it to Newkirk. Uh, But when they got there, they saw more muddy footprints and the whole place smelled like a dog that had just rolled around in the dirt. Oh man. And Danny's friend's dog was officially so disturbed. It wouldn't even go in the house. Well, it's better than the, the, the cat piss smell. Oh, God. From the Dybbuk box. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, d- creepy part, Danny's friend went to show him where the statue was, when he, where he left it before he fled his house, but it was gone. So, when they found it, it was in the hallway, and there was a big crack in the wall, like it had been thrown there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. So ridiculously creepy. So... When they were standing in the hallway and talking to this statue, the dog started barking like crazy outside. And when they went to see what was going on, that's when they both thought that they saw the woman standing in the corner of his living room. Oh, man. Yeah. And the way that they describe it on the in the email that they had sent to Newkirk, they said she was totally naked, really old and dripping water. And her eyes sort of glowed in the dark. She was hunched over near his shelves. We both freaked the fuck out and ran outside. And this was in the middle of the day. Whoever it was, wasn't there when we went back inside. We grabbed the statue, apologized again, wrapped it in a pillowcase and put it in a box. And then that's when they sent it to Newkirk. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, So, for those that don't know, things like hair, fingernails, toenails, and bodily fluids are often attached to some sort of an effigy like this statue as a form of kind of sympathetic magic. So, if there was hair, it could have been intent from the intended initial target. Um, But Danny said there were also more twigs around the base of the statue when they found it. So... That's when they sent it off to Newkirk and he placed it in his museum. So he nicknamed it the crone 
after this, you know, violent female entity. And within hours of the statue arriving at his place, it pulled Jesus off a crucifix hanging on the wall. Wow. Yeah. And it was also the cause of several phantom knocks. Same thing, wet footprints on Newkirk's couch. And they even caught it moving with a motion activated camera. I'm good. Yep. So the last straw <laughs> was when it tried to drop a television on Newkirk's head. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So he shared some other disturbing occurrences that had happened since the statue had come into his possession. And um, Newkirk and his wife, Dana, initially brought the crone with them on their paranormal travels, only allowing patrons to view her but not touch her. And that is the Catskills crone. That was really creepy. Real fucking creepy. We're going to have to have some blessings tonight. <laughs> After this. Sage. <laughs> All the sage. And I'm, I'm about to get even darker. Do it. <laughs> because I'm going to talk about the devil's rocking chair. Oh, yes. <laughs> I like that blues over there shaking her head. Like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> you guys are talking about all this creepy stuff. Um, so little backstory uh, behind the devil's rocking chair actually the chair comes from the exorcism of david glatzel mm-hmm. also known uh that exorcism is also known from the devil made me do it case mm-hmm. this is why i want to talk about this because mm-hmm. they're making a movie about this mm-hmm. conjuring i can't wait anyway <laughs> So, uh, just a little backstory of how this little old rocking chair became the devil's rocking chair. So, according to the Glatzel family, 11-year-old David Glatzel had allegedly played host to the demon that actually forced uh, Arnie Johnson to kill uh, his landlord, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, after witnessing a number of increasingly ominous ominous occurrences involving David, the family, exhausted and terrified, decided to enlist the aid of the self-described demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, and in a last-ditch effort to cure David. So, just getting a little bit into the exorcism. Uh, one night, uh, David woke up screaming, claiming he had been visited by a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. That's when you move. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't care how good. Shit, I, I, I don't, get out. <laughs> I don't care if you just refied your house and you got a killer interest rate. Fucking move. <laughs> and um and they've kind of said like david was not the kind of kid who liked scary movies or who was likely to like you know make things up and he was visibly shaken by this experience um he actually became withdrawn and quiet his older sister debbie asked her fiance arnie johnson if he would stay with her family for a while and see whether it would help david kind of get out of his depression so they're just trying to they're thinking it's just depression and he is just sad that's not the case (laughs) um arnie of course uh agreed but that didn't help anything uh david started to uh share that he was having more nightmares about the terrifying man who promised to take his soul 
um, odd scratches and bruises begin to appear on him, and all the injuries all the injuries uh, seem to happen while he was asleep. Uh, odd sounds, which Arnie couldn't explain, were heard in the attic. And then worst of all, David began to claim that he was now seeing the beast while he was awake. Ugh. Again, time to go. Please. <laughs> and he was always seen um, sitting in the family's rocking chair. Uh, which the beast now claimed as his own. And then uh, David was the only one who saw, actually in Lorraine uh, Warren actually saw him sitting there too, and I'll get into that. Uh, but he was the only one at the time that saw the beast in the chair. Um but family members would often see the chair rocking back and forth, like just kind of on its own. No, thank you. Mm -mm. Hard now. <laughs> that's, that's when you, you get rid of that chair <laughs> or again, move out, <laughs> find another place to go, <laughs> leave the rocking chair where it is. <laughs> so, uh, the family first brought over a priest to bless the house. This didn't help. In fact, it made it worse. The sounds in the attic got louder, David's visions increased, and he began to hiss at his family and speak with multiple voices. He started a quote from Paradise Lost, a book that most 11-year-olds aren't exactly familiar with. <laughs> um, and during the night, someone had, uh, had to stay up and watch David, who woke up like every 30 minutes, and then sometimes like having seizures. Uh, the, Gla the Glatzel family, along with the Warrens, then proceeded to have multiple priests petition uh, the church to have a formal exorcism performed on David. The process continued for several days, uh, concluding when, according to those present, a demon fled the child's body and took up residence in, within Arnie Johnson. Uh, but during the series of exorcisms that occurred, which the chair, uh, and if Zach Bagans actually opens it up, which I don't think he ever will, <laughs> unless it is open now. Uh, I thought it might be because I vaguely remember seeing something about people walking by it and yeah. passing out. Yeah, that's very I, dramatically. Well, then I thought that's why he shut it down. Because, but I'll, I'll I'm going to mention that later too. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> but they said that the chair still bears the the marks of holy water. From this, the exorcisms. So I'm like, I kind of want to see it, but I kind of don't. <laughs> Just say it. That's why I said when we go to this museum, I'm I'm gonna try to protect myself. <laughs> um, but they also said the chair would rock on its own, levitate, and even vanish and reappear. Um, and then uh, Lorraine and uh, her husband um, actually had reported seeing the devil actually sitting in the rocking chair. Hard no. <laughs> <laughs> and then several months later, after, you know, the exorcism was complete, the, the, the devil is gone-ish, and I guess now inside Arnie Johnson, he, uh, Arnie Johnson killed his landlord during a very heated conversation. Uh, his defense lawyer argued in court that he was possessed, but the judge ruled that such a defense could never be proven and was therefore infeasible in a court of law. And then uh, Johnson was convicted, though he only served five of a 10 to 20 year sentence. Oh, Jesus. I wonder how he is now. 
justice system. If he's still alive. Hard at work. I didn't check <laughs> if he's still alive. Um, the incident led to uh, the creation of a television film titled The Demon Murder Case on NBC. And there were preparations for a feature film, but the production was stalled due to some internal conflicts, so they never made it. But we now know there's going to be another movie. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> in uh, 1983, uh, Gerald Brittle, with the assistance of Lorraine Warren, published a book about the incident entitled The Devil in Connecticut. Uh, Lorraine stated that profits from the book uh, were shared with the family. Uh, sources confirmed that $2,000 was paid to the family by the book publisher. That doesn't seem like a lot. That's really not a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, unless it really didn't make that much money. I don't know. But still. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like a lot. And I feel like a lot of people probably would have read that, considering how big that case was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then upon the book's republication in 2006 by iUniverse, David Glatzel and his brother, Carl Glatzel Jr., sued the authors and book publishers for violating their right to privacy libel and intentional affliction of emotional distress uh carl also claimed that the book alleged uh, he committed criminal and abusive acts against his family and others he said that the possession story was a hoax concocted by ed and lorraine warren to exploit the family and his brother's mental illness and that the book presented him as the villain because he did not believe in the supernatural claim uh, he also asserted that the Warrens told him the story would make the family millionaires and would help get Johnson out of jail. But according to uh, Carl Glatzel, the, polis- the, pu- bleh, the publicity <laughs> generated by the incident forced him to drop out of school uh, and lose friends and business opportunities. Uh, he is actually uh, currently writing a book titled Alone Through the Valley about his version of the events surrounding his brother. Uh, Lorraine Warren actually defended her work with the family, saying that the six priests who were involved in the incident agreed at the time that the boy was possessed and that the supernatural events she described were real. Uh, Brittle, uh, the author of the other author of uh, Devil in Connecticut, says he wrote the book because the family wanted the story told. That he possesses a video of over a hundred hours of his interviews with the family, and that they signed off on the book as accurate before it went to print. Um, Glatzel's father, uh, Carl Glatzel Sr., uh, also denies telling the author that his son was possessed. Um, and actually, Johnson and uh, Debbie are now mar- uh, are are now married, <laughs> and they actually support the Warrens' account of demonic possession and have stated that the Glatzels in question are suing simply for monetary purposes. Um, and we're gonna pretty much see this whole story again when the Conjuring comes out in twenty twelve. Uh, twenty twelve. <laughs> 2021 <laughs> and it's titled the devil made me do it i'm so excited i really really want to see this <laughs> yeah, i'm bummed that they pushed it yeah i mean we kind of felt that coming though <laughs> with <Yeah>. everything <laughs> but um i'm really excited for this movie to come out because it's a very interesting case mm-hmm. when you read more into it of course i had a lot of notes and i took some out so <laughs> it was really long um 
Now, getting into Zach Baggins. So, he purchased the chair for a whopping $67,000 in April. Uh, and he, and it was just hours before um, Lorraine Warren had passed away at the age of 92 on April 19, 2019. And he uh, got it from Carl Glatzel, the brother of the young boy at the center of the notorious case. Uh, actually, and, and then uh, Baggins was forced to shut down his museum, but just the Devil's Rocking Chair exhibit on opening day after paranormal activity occurred linked to the chair shortly after the exhibit opened on May 28th. Uh, a woman collapsed, began bawling, and asked, why is this happening to me? Uh, she then fell unconscious, and then... At the time of the events, uh, the women had been in the room directly above the rocking chair exhibit. Not long after, four tour guides at the museum, I'm sorry, five tour guides at the museum, uh, which is home of other (laughs) weird and crazy uh, paranormal items, began to cry uncontrollably. It's pretty creepy. I checked their website. It's open again. Oh well, my god! The museum is clo- <laughs> the museum is closed back down for COVID. Right. But, I was gonna uh, say they're shutting Vegas down again. Yeah, Vegas is closed, <laughs> but um, the exhibit is open again. Well, that's so. That's really creepy. <laughs> but uh, Zach Baggins also has said that once the exhibit opened. Um, there was a light that was focused on the chair going out of a power cord that was abruptly yanked out of the wall. And then basically just, you know, as a result, he just shut it down for a while. But now it is back open. So the other one that I picked was the probably one of the more famous ones next to the devil's rocking chair and also a Warren case. Yep. Annabelle, the doll. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> the Warren stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, because they've got that huge museum, which um, is also closed right now due to COVID. But when it opens back up, I would really like to go and visit. Yes. Um, so for those that didn't know, the Annabelle that you see in the films. <laughs> so Annabelle has uh, spawned two films. Well, actually more than that, three films. Yeah. Um, and then she's had little cameos in other places. So there was obviously the original Annabelle film, which I was not a fan of. And then there was Annabelle Creation, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, I like that one better uh, was too. Oh, so good. <laughs> um, and then there was also Annabelle Comes Home, which was just okay. It was all right. It was a fun little, you know, jumpy scare kind of movie, but it it wasn't as good as Annabelle creation. That one was real good. Yeah. So, the true story of the original Annabelle doll began when she terrorized her first owner, owner in 1970, which forced Ed and Lorraine Warren to take her to their occult museum for safekeeping. So she currently sits in a glass case bearing the hand-carved inscription of the Lord's Prayer uh, while a pleasant smile rests on her happy little face. (laughs) She looks Mm -hmm. so creepy in Mm -hmm. that case. Yep. I know everybody has, like, maybe had a, you know, the the doll, but... I, I mean, I, I always found them creepy. Mm-hmm. But anyway. <laughs> and, and for those that did not know, the real Annabelle was not the doll that's pictured in the films that looks a little more sinister. Uh, the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. <laughs> of all things. Because what was, po- what was really popular in the 70s? 
Raggedy Ann yep. dolls. I had one when I was little. Didn't last long, though. I don't remember ever having one. I don't think my mom could afford a real Raggedy Ann. I had, like, the... Whatever the, the off brand, yeah, whatever like the the house brand version of Raggedy Ann. I think that's Ann probably was. the one I. Had. Yeah, because my mom did not have a lot of money as a single parent, so there was no like legit Raggedy Ann happening, which is okay because yeah. apparently they're possessed. Exactly. So, uh, to the uninformed visitors of the Warrens Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut, she probably looks like any other Raggedy Ann doll produced in the mid twentieth century, but she's anything but ordinary. <laughs> So since her first supposed haunting in 1970, this particularly evil doll has been blamed for demonic possession, a slew of violent attacks, um, and at least two near-death experiences. So in recent years, as I mentioned, the, the stories of Annabelle have inspired a series of movies. So how real is this story? <laughs> Though she doesn't look anything like the doll from the films uh she the experiences that people had as a result of her were very very real and it's actually even more creepy that she's a raggedy ann doll than the doll that's in the movies so she has she looks like any other doll she's got the half smile bright orange triangular nose normal raggedy ann doll so <laughs> so they think right so the first of these hauntings is traced back to 1970 when uh a woman has actually retold this story to the warrens many many times and the warrens have reaccounted this many times as well so she was a gift to a young nurse named donna from her mother on her 20th birthday so Donna was thrilled with the gift and brought it back to her apartment that she shared with another young nurse named Angie. So at first the doll was an adorable accessory who just sat on the sofa in the living room, greeted visitors, you know, looking all happy and smiley. Um, but before too long, the two women started to notice Annabelle seemed to move around the room on her own accord. So <laughs> Donna would sit on the living room or would, would sit uh, Annabelle on the living room floor sofa before leaving for work to only to come home in the afternoon and find her in the bedroom with the door shut nope yep so donna and angie then started finding notes left throughout the apartment reading help me and according to the women the notes were written on parchment paper which they didn't even keep in their house where did the paper come where did it come from so uh furthermore angie's boyfriend who's known only under the pseudonym of lou was in the apartment one afternoon while donna was working and heard rustling in her room as if someone had broken in so upon inspection he found no sign of forced entry but he found the annabelle doll lying face down on the ground so suddenly he felt a searing pain in his chest and looked down to find bloody claw marks running across it. Nope. Two days later, they had vanished without a trace. So following his traumatic experience, the woman invited a medium over to help solve their uh, seemingly odd issues with their possessed Annabelle doll. So the medium held a seance and told the women that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a deceased seven-year-old named Annabelle Higgins, whose body had been found years earlier on the site where their apartment building had been built. 
Oh, no. So the medium then claimed that the spirit was benevolent and simply wanted to be loved and cared for. That's not how this works. (laughs) That's not how any of this works. And whenever it has to do with children, it's always creepy. Never trust kids. Trust your pets. (laughs) Yep. Um, So... Eventually, in an attempt to rid their home of the Annabelle doll spirit, uh, Donna and Angie actually called an Episcopal... Oh, 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 I I missed the best part. So, when the medium had claimed that it was, you know, just the spirit of this little girl that wanted to be loved and cared for, the two nurses, uh, Donna and Angie, felt bad for the spirit and consented for her to take a permanent residence in the doll. Don't invite it in. Why? Yeah. <laughs> so after all this nonsense, it just kept getting worse. They called an Episcopalian priest uh, named Father Hegan. And then Father Hegan contacted his superior, Father Cook, who alerted Ed and Lorraine Warren. So as far as Ed and Lorraine Warren were concerned, the two young women's trouble truly started when they began believing the doll deserved their sympathy. So the <laughs> Warrens believed that there was actually a demonic force in search of a human host within Annabelle and not this benevolent soul that they were led to believe. So, here's the Warren's account of the case. Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. The spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host. No, thanks. Fucking creepy. So, immediately the Warrens noted what they believe were signs of demonic possession, including teleportation of the doll moving on its own, materialization of the parchment paper notes, and the quote-unquote mark of the beast being the claw marks on Lou's chest. So, the Warrens were then subsequently ordered to perform an exorcism of the apartment that was also performed by Father Cook. So, then they took Annabelle out of the apartment and to her final resting place in the occult museum, hoping that her demonic reign would finally end. Now, this is where we get into the near-death experiences. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, after all this happens, following Annabelle's removal from Donna and Angie's apartment, the Warrens documented several other paranormal experiences involving the doll. And this first one, the first near-death experience was just minutes after they took possession of her. Oh, great. So after the exorcism, the Warrens buckled Annabelle into the back seat of their car and vowed not to take any highway in case she had some kind of accident causing power over them in their vehicle. However, even safer in the back roads still proved way too risky. And this is actually documented in, I think is Annabelle creation. Yes. In the very beginning of it. I remember that part. Yep. So on their way home and this, this really did happen on their way home. Uh, Lorraine claimed that the brakes either stalled or failed several times resulting in near disastrous crashes. Lorraine claimed that as soon as Ed pulled holy water from his bag and doused the doll with it, the problem with the brakes disappeared. Oh my God. Mm hmm yep super creepy oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. so upon arriving home and Lorraine warren placed the doll in ed's study um and there they reported that the doll had levitated and moved about the house even when placed in the locked office in an outer building the warrens claimed that she would turn up later inside the house 
So finally, they decided to lock her up for good. And that's when they had that specially made glass case and wood constructed. Right. Um, and then that's where they descri- they inscribed the Lord's Prayer and St. Michael's Prayer. And for the rest of his life, Ed would periodically say a binding prayer over the case, ensuring that the sinister spirit and the doll remain trapped. So since being locked up, Annabelle the doll hasn't moved again, although it's alleged that her spirit has found ways to reach out to the earthly plane. So once a priest who was visiting the Warrens Museum picked up Annabelle and discounted her demonic abilities. Mm. Ed warned him about mocking Annabelle's demonic power, but the priest laughed it off. So on his way home, the priest was involved in a near fatal crash that totaled his new car. (laughs) Yep, he claimed to have seen Annabelle in his rearview mirror just before the accident. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so years later, another visitor rapped on the glass of Annabelle's case and laughed at how silly people were to believe in her. On his way home, he reportedly lost control of his motorcycle and crashed head-on into a tree. He was killed instantly and his girlfriend barely survived. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and his girlfriend claimed at the time of the accident, the couple had just been laughing about Annabelle. So over the years, the Warrens have continued to recount these tales as proof of Annabelle's horrific powers, although none of these stories could be corroborated. So believe at your own peril. I believe um, it. And the names of this young priest who, were, who was mocking her and the motorcyclists were never divulged. And neither Donna nor Angie, the two nurses who were Annabelle's first victims, ever came forward with their story. And neither Father Cook nor Father Hegan appeared to have mentioned their exorcisms of her ever again. Oh my gosh. And that is Annabelle the doll. There was so much more to the story than I, than I thought. <laughs> yes. I will never talk bad about her. No. Ever. I mean, even if you don't believe it, just why tempt fate? Yeah. Don't bother. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Don't mock her. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. I know better. Right? <laughs> well, that concludes our episode for today. Yeah. We'll probably do another episode of this since we have so many more to talk about. There's lots. Too many. Yep. We're going to get get some more sage. (laughs) Don't buy haunted things on eBay. It's a whole subcategory, but please don't do it. It's a terrible idea. It's an awful idea. I would never. Even if they're not haunted, people are dirty. You don't know what they've got. (laughs) And that. I'm just afraid of germs. Hey, when my mom got me this doll and its heart started beating on it by itself, I definitely got rid of it. Hard no. (laughs) So, I know better. Or the Furbies that (laughs) will come to life and say weird things. If uh, you or anybody in your family or friends know anything about some haunted objects that you may have been in possession of, email us, thesquagwools at gmail.com. And also make sure you are subscribing and, and rating us and anywhere you listen to podcasts and also like us on Facebook and Instagram. We have merch. And merch. We have a whole store. Go to our website, www.thesquadghouls.com. Buy our stuff. Yeah, buy stuff. Dogs need hoodies. Yeah, it's getting cold. Yep. The dog hoodies do run small, so size up. That's an important fit note. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to get Pearl a uh, triple X. (laughs) (laughs) We have fanny packs. We have masks. We have totes. Yeah. Yeah. Get on that. Yeah, buy our stuff. Creep it real. And we'll scare you later. Goodbye. Bye.